0: What you believe about Jesus will change everything you know about yourself, your world, your destiny. Welcome to our series on the Gospel of Mark, Son of God. Have you ever felt like God isn't fair? If we were together in the same room, maybe asking about, have you ever felt like there was a time in your life that God was not fair? Could you think of any examples? It probably wouldn't take you too long to think of a time when you felt like God, like Jesus, isn't fair. Might have been a time when someone else got the job that you had applied for or the promotion that you were up for and it went to someone else. Someone else who, in your mind, you felt wasn't as qualified as you. Maybe someone else got accolades and got noticed when you did a lot of the work and you feel like you deserve to be noticed. Maybe someone else got First place in the race. Someone else got the raise instead of you. You got passed over. It seems like it's not fair. And when it comes to the fairness of others, we get over those things. But when it comes to the deep desires of our hearts, the things that we want God to do, the things that we want Jesus to do for us, for Jesus to meet us in certain situations and to do something that we desperately want Him to do we really feel in those moments like God is unfair. Like if we've been looking for companionship and we're wondering everyone else around us is is married and here we are single and feeling alone. God, where's my spouse? Where's someone that I can spend the rest of my life with? Maybe it's a family that you never got to have and God doesn't seem to want to bless you in that way. Maybe it's some kind of ministry opportunity that you never get. Now, it's amazing that sometimes we can look at the blessings that God gives to others and wonder, how come we have not received similar types of blessings, God? When when are we going to receive those kinds of things in our lives? We learn very early on that fairness matters in life. We learn it as children. We're told uh, to share with others. We're told to be fair to others. And when we're at, when our kids are at those birthday parties, they know early on to watch how that cake's being sliced. We understand that if someone else gets a bigger piece than others, sure, the, the birthday boy or girl gets to have the corner piece with more icing. But when you don't get the same size of piece of someone else gets, that's not fair. When someone else gets a different gift than you do that that is something that you wanted, that's not fair. We actually have to teach really, really little ones that they can't go running in and blow out the birthday candles on the birthday boy or girl because it's not fair to them. And then, you know, if they're really young... Those, those uh, kids, they cry because they know it's not fair and they wanted to be the ones to blow out the birthday candles even though it's not their birthday. We learn very early on in life that fairness is something that should exist in society and yet it seems like, it feels like, Jesus isn't fair to us sometimes. Why isn't Jesus Fair. Why, don't, why do we feel that? We had a great discussion in our growth group this week, the growth group uh, that I'm a part of. I, we, we discussed that this is one of the main reasons why people are discouraged in trusting that Jesus is ready, willing, and able to give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. They lose faith that Jesus is omniscient. He knows all and they lose faith that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, because it seems like other people are being blessed, other people are getting ahead when we aren't. But I would posit to you this morning that while Jesus isn't fair, I think that's true. Jesus is better than fair. Because as the son of God, he has God's priorities and God's principles that guide how he cares for people like you and me. In other words, Jesus has a better recipe for caring for us in a way that's better than fairness. You know, at Thanksgiving, uh, one of the things I always look forward to is uh, when we could travel back to Canada, we would go and, and spend time with family or at Christmas and we'd eat at all of our different homes. And I knew which family members had better recipes for different foods. I think God has a better recipe for us than fairness. And it's in the way Jesus cares for us. And I'd love to show you that in the gospel of Mark, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Mark chapter two, starting at the 13th verse. If you don't have a Bible handy, then just follow along. We're gonna put the verses up on the screen for you. If you do have a Bible, that's a great place to keep some notes. So that's why I encourage you to grab your Bible and follow along. It's in the 13th verse, it's in the 13th verse that we read this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." To kind of help us grasp what is happening here, we need to put it in a context that we understand. I don't think anyone likes tax collectors, but tax collectors in Jesus's day were the lowest of the low. They were the most sinful of all of the sinners because they had turned their back on God's people, turned their back on God's country, Israel, God's nation, and sold out. To the nation of Rome and collected taxes for them. And Rome wasn't necessarily interested in how much you collected from others as long as they got what they expected. So a tax collector could demand more with all of the authority of Rome and all of the military might of Rome and all of the police state of Rome, which existed in Israel at that time and they could cut off whatever they wanted for themselves as long as Rome got their peace. They were the lowest of the low, and Jesus was one of the most righteous of all of the righteous people. And this confused, this was something that the Pharisees didn't understand. It would be for us today, to put this into context of how odd it would be for Jesus to go and be at this banquet, with this man, Levi, who was a tax collector, would be like Donald Trump and Joe Biden deciding that they would come together on election night to watch the results together over pizza and wings. It sounds crazy. It would never happen, and yet this is what's happening in Jesus' day. And there's a couple of things here I want you to note and see that really demonstrate how Jesus shows that he cares for us. This man, Levi, well, he's at work as Jesus passes, as, as he passes by. And Jesus doesn't look down on him and says, you need to change. You've sold out the people of God. You've sold out your own nation. You've sold out everything of what it means to believe in God. He doesn't say that. He simply invites him to follow. He doesn't make any reference of his past. He doesn't make any reference of his sin. He doesn't make any reference to the other tax collectors and the other sinners, all of those sins. He just says, follow. And he's willing to spend time with them. He's willing to to banquet with the baddest of the bad. He's willing to spend time with the notoriously immoral people, the people who should have known better And that's amazing because the very people that no one would be caught dead with, Jesus lived for them. Jesus lived and loved to spend time with them. And that's amazing because what it demonstrates to us is as Jesus looks at Levi and as Jesus looks at these tax collectors and these other sinners, he loves them. He doesn't see their sin in the same way you and I see their sin. He simply loves them. And that's the first way Jesus shows that he cares for you and me. He loves people beyond their sin. He loves people before he sees their sin. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus excuses their sin. Remember, he's still at this banquet. He's being questioned about why he would eat with them, why he would fellowship with them. And he calls them sick people. He tells them while they're sitting around him, while they're at the the banquet, that they're sick. He's not marginalizing their sin, but he's saying something about the nature of sin that you and I maybe sometimes fail to see. And I think as we become Christians, we tend to forget. And that is that we, you and I, we view sin as offenses against God in the form of categories. There are levels of offenses in society. Jaywalking is a crime in some, in some places in the country, but it's not as bad as murder, right? And so Jesus takes all of that and he simply says, the level of sin is not the issue Because all sin is deadly. All sin is sin. And it doesn't matter whether you have a lot of sin or it doesn't matter whether you have a little sin. Sin needs to be dealt with. And there are people who, well, they feel like they're outside of God's reach because of the level of their sin, because of the immensity of their sin, that there's no way back And they were being treated like there is no way back. And Jesus says that's simply not true. When Jesus extends the invitation to Levi, he does not make mention of, you know, before we get this right, I just want to make sure that you change all of these things about yourself before you come. He just says, follow me. Doesn't reference his past. And that's an amazing truth that the immensity of the sin in our past, of the offenses against God in the past are not as important as our decision to follow Jesus today. You see, to Jesus, sin is like black mold. And it doesn't matter whether there's a little bit of black mold on your wall or a lot of black mold on your wall. It still is sin. It does not matter the amount. A large amount, a little amount is bad. But he does know of the emotional toll, of the emotional consequences, of all of the relational consequences, of all the societal consequences, of a lot of sin. And so he goes to those people first. And spends time with them first because they would have felt like there was no way forward for them. And Jesus wanted to disprove that. He knew that you don't influence people that you aren't next to, that you aren't near to. And so he intentionally goes to them. And that's amazing. Jesus loves people beyond their sin, before he sees their sin, before he references their sin. He loves people. And that's the first way that Jesus shows that he cares for us, is that it doesn't matter whether we have a lot of sin in our lives or a little bit of sin in our lives. Jesus loves us, and that's better than fair, is it not? That's better than God treating us fairly. This is God treating us graciously. And that is way better than being fair now the problem is is that that creates a question of so how do we know who is a righteous person and who is not a righteous person how do we know how to follow what are the rules what are the things that we should practice as a matter of fact we read that i think jesus was maybe viewed as a potential lawbreaker because of the way that he associated with these sinners And we read uh, in verse 15, or sorry, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? I think they were confused about how Jesus was practicing his righteousness then. If no sin can be categorized, then how how do you categorize righteousness? What is righteous behavior? What is righteous living? And Jesus responds by saying this in verse 19. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him. With them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus doesn't just love people beyond their sin. He doesn't just love them before he deals with their sin. He loves them enough to adjust his religious preferences based on how, close or how far people are from God. He adjusts his religious activity in order to make sure that people matter more than his preferences. People matter more to Jesus than his personal preferences in practicing faith. In other words, ministry fits people, not the other way around. When you walk into a when you walk into a shoe store and you decide I would like a shoe the person asks you well what size of shoe do you wear and what do you intend to use the shoe for and you begin to get different products in order to see which one best fits the way you walk which one best fits whether your foot rolls a little bit when you walk whether you have arch support or whether you need arch support Those kinds of questions, they don't make the person fit the shoe. Imagine walking into the shoe store and all they had was one size of shoe, one kind of shoe, one color of shoe, regardless of whether you were a child, a man, or a woman, whether you were uh, tall or short, no matter how you walked, and you were just told, nope, fit your foot into this shoe. That's how this works. Sometimes we do that with our religious practices. We say, this is how it works. Therefore, you have to do these things. But Jesus says, actually, ministry needs to fit the people more than it does the other way around. Isn't that why Jesus came in the first place? Paul would later write in Philippians in chapter 2 that, Jesus, even though he was in very nature God himself and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, he was God in the flesh, he was the son of God, he is the son of God, he made himself nothing and he took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to not force people to become like him, but instead fit his practice of ministry to where people were. Jesus came as a preacher, did he not? We've been talking about that the last few weeks, and yet even as people keep coming to him and asking for God, would you, Jesus, would you meet this need? Jesus, would you do this? Would you heal this? And so on. He continued to heal, even though that wasn't his primary preference for ministry. He wasn't going to lose the emphasis, but he also never stopped healing either. Why? Because Jesus cared enough that he was willing to adjust his preference for the sake of people. That's how Jesus shows that he cares. He loves us enough. He loves us beyond our sin, no matter whether we think we've sinned a little or whether we've sinned a lot or whether we think our sin is something that's so unforgivable or Whether society thinks our sin is unforgivable, Jesus looks beyond that and simply invites us to follow. And he looks beyond the practice of religious activity as the thing that he's trying to create in people and says, actually, It's the religious activity that fits the needs of people. And I will do what is needed in the moment. He loves people more than preferences. He loves people beyond their sin. And he loves people before his preferences. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that anything goes when it comes to spiritual practices. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks together. But Jesus is going to be very clear and the Gospels are going to be very clear that how those practices work cannot violate certain principles. Jesus shows he cares by loving people beyond their sin and loving people before his personal preferences. And I can think of no better example of those two principles in action than at the cross. And as we prepare to celebrate communion together, let's remember the love that Jesus has for us, the love that Jesus, in spite of our sin, would be willing to come and to take that sin on himself, which is unfair. And that's a good thing because it's grace. And he would look past his preference of being in heaven, of being uh, in God's presence, and give that up and become a servant and become obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we could gain his righteousness, so that we could gain eternal life if we choose to follow, if we choose to believe. That's the love that Jesus has for you and I. So let's prepare in these next couple of moments to receive communion together. Three, two, one. How does Jesus show that he cares for us? Not by being fair, but by being gracious. Jesus shows he cares by the way that he loves. He loves people beyond their sin. And he loves people before his preferences. A couple of questions for you as we close. You'll be able to discuss them with your family at the end of the video or perhaps in your growth group this week. Also, take some time to journal about them and to process them through this week as well. You'll find these questions uh, linked again. If you uh, misplaced the link, you can just visit our website, go to the Messages tab, find the most recent message, and you'll find uh, the questions linked there. Here they are. Question one, how have you personally experienced the care of Jesus in your life? Question two, how would you encourage someone who is struggling to trust that Jesus loves them beyond their performance? Question three, in what ways can you follow Jesus by loving people beyond their spiritual performance, beyond their sin, and before your spiritual preferences. Jesus shows he cares by loving people beyond their sin and by loving people more than preferences. Let's pray together. Jesus, in this moment... Would your Holy Spirit speak to us and remind us and encourage us that in the middle of our circumstances, when we feel like life is unfair, that you're being unfair. That in the person of Jesus Christ, we see that you are better than fair. You are gracious. You look at us and see and love us even while we are sinners, that you would die for us. And you give up your preferences to meet us where we are so that we can know you, that we can follow you, that we can become like you as you change us and transform us. Thank you for the way that you care for us because of the way that you love us. I pray that you would remind us of that and that The way that you love us would be the way that we love others as we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.